Jo Wright and this is the Coaching Culture Podcast where we discuss how to make work better. Hello and welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. Today I'm joined yet again by the wonderful Nicole McGill-Higgins. Nicole, welcome. Hello. Hi. Hello. Happy New Year and all that jazz. Happy New Year. <laughs> now, Nicole, how can I introduce you? I think belonging leadership coach and global keynote speaker and now most recently international best-selling author what else can I say about you Nicole <laughs> really really delighted I know us today Nicole um you and I have well we go back a little way now we've done a podcast in the in the past and I think it'd be really helpful for people to listen to the very first one um because this one yes. today and also you've appeared twice at our conferences because you were one of the most popular speakers so we obviously brought you back again which was great but today is very much we're going to go deeper into the topic because I think we've had feedback people have had lots of questions for us so today we're going to go deeper into a topic um, that we've already talked a little bit about in the past, but this is just get taken a, a little bit further. So, but I would recommend people to listen to our very first podcast because that really set the scene and introduced. So, Nicole, let's yeah. just open up with a really general question, which is tell us more about your expertise. Tell us more about who Nicole is. What is your area of passion? Why, why are we talking today? What's the topic? Well, well, coincidentally, my area of passion is coaching, coaching culture. Just thought I'd yeah. do a little plug here. If you haven't got a cup, get uh, one. Thank you. So, <laughs> and my area, ex- my area of expertise is really um, coaching. So I'm a belonging leadership coach. And what I tend to do is go into organizations. And um, really, I call it the corporate beehive. And that's the name of kind of the program that I have around um, trying to get organizations to foster and cultivate that culture of belonging. Um, and then, I, you know, I coach anyone in this space, really. So the last year, especially, I've been coaching quite a few senior leaders or people who's kind of stepped into this space as a new role or trying to get a role in diversity and inclusion. And, and, then, I, and then I go on platforms and speak about them at different conferences. So in, in a nutshell, that, that's kind of what I do. Brilliant. And in terms of the specifics, tell, tell us a little bit more about your about the word. So I love this, that you're Last time we talked was a bit about culture of belonging, equity and equity, equality and equity in that order, wasn't it? The B, B double E. Just really yeah, quickly, yeah. just explain for people who've, who've not met you before, just explain a little bit more about those words that you've shared, because they, there's something quite key about them. And then we'll go into the specifics of this podcast. Yeah, and that's why... Um you know, when you go into my website, it's Belonging by Nicole McGill-Higgins, and it's the B-E-E with a little B logo. Yeah. Um, and Belonging is for the B, equity and equality. And we, whenever you seem to look at what equity and equality means, lots, I think it's maybe moved on now, but before <laughs> it was really around um, equity versus equality. So yeah. the, the best way I can really describe this is, is a quote that I tend to use, which yeah. is equality is giving everybody a pair of shoes um, and equity is making sure that they fit. And of course, you can put more onto that because some people may not want to wear a pair of shoes. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's different things. But in terms of meeting people where they're at around fairness and having a level playing field um, and understanding different people's needs um, and also their similarities and meeting them there. 
That's brilliant, isn't it? And I think that really captures it in a nutshell, everything that you you are about, you stand for. And today's podcast is very much about getting yeah. that under the bonnet of this topic and really being more specific in what organisations and leaders and managers and individuals throughout the organisation can really do to help themselves yeah. to really have that a greater sense of belonging and a more inclusive mindset. So I suppose my first question to you is, what can they do? What can leaders do for themselves to have a more inclusive mindset? That's question one. And then question two is, and what can they do for the teams? And there's a couple of things really that encompasses this, to be honest, Joe, because I think as as cliche or cheesy as it can sound, it does actually start with you. Because yeah. if I'm asking you, for example, I'm saying to the, the team, look, managers, we're doing a belonging, we're going to have a belonging strategy. We really want this organisation for people to feel like they belong and that they have a really good lived experience here. But if I'm me as a leader and as a manager, I don't even feel like I belong. I don't even understand what that means to me. There's yeah. some things that we have to take a deeper dive for us to do that understanding, hence coaching. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things. I mean, lead by example. So yeah. don't just, you know, say, yep, we're going to put all the managers on a training course for diversity and inclusion and belonging. But then as a leader, you don't go on it yourself. You're sending surveys out to collect data, but then you're not filling out the surveys yourself as a leader. So there's something around leading by example. Be visible because so I've kind of coached and, and, and done quite a lot of training in the last what two years since I've had the business. And, you know, when I do the focus groups, especially, that's something that always comes back. We never see our leaders. We never see our board. We never see our directors, you know, so be visible, you know, don't just say stuff and then disappear. There's also an element around the transparency of the why. Why are you doing this? Because your, your staff are going to say, OK, so you're doing this. It's very much in the media, isn't it? So we don't want to look like we're jumping on the bandwagon. So be very transparent about why you're doing this and what does that actually look, taste and feel like. Um, I would also say remove the echo chambers because you're going to get some people who just don't want change. We know this. As soon as we start to change anything, people feel uncomfortable. It's that unknown. So that comfortability, bring that back. And we have to do all of these things before we start expecting other things around diversity and inclusion of our leaders. It's going back to that basic human feeling, that human need, which is belonging. Belonging is not tangible. It's intangible. It's a feeling. Um, and then around representation. It's important that if you're in a room in your organisation, you're making decisions for other people in your organisation or for your clients, if you're not having those people in the room or people who understand, then you're probably not making the right decision. And that's where you're going to have the echo chambers and you need to break them down. So, yeah, and, and just create a steering group, I would say, or some form of committee of, of maybe people in the organisation from different parts. So you're hearing the voices. So you're giving that employee voice. Wow, there's a lot of things there, Nicole, that you covered off, but some really practical pieces of advice there right. things people to look at themselves people to be more visible to kind of role model that sense of belonging but also then if I suppose mm -hmm. if leaders are unsure they can go out and get the voices of other people in the in the organization because it is about that and it is stopping people yeah. worrying feeling uncertain actually get more and more voices together and, how, and what could they do to their teams then how could they encourage their teams to adopt a more inclusive mindset and I would say have the conversations mm. and, you know, have those coaching type questions, do those check-ins. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But one, why are we doing this and what does that look like? 
That's the main thing, because if, we, if people in the organization don't know what's expected, they won't know what to do. So have those open conversations within your team. It should really be a standing item on every single team meeting. Every time you have a team meeting in your one-to-ones, because we're talking about this, we're, we're, the currency we're operating in is human beings, right? We're trying to get your organization to be more human-centric. So it's really around having those conversations and finding out what people are going through. Some people are code is code switching. They're pretending to be somebody that they're not because there isn't any psychological safety because it's an organization, a culture of blame. So check what the culture is in your organization and then start to drip feed different activities around inclusion and what that means and test it and be honest and say, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We want everybody to feel welcomed, accepted, appreciated and valued, regardless of where you are from and how you identify and how can we do that? And if you're really stuck, bring in somebody, an expert or ask the question, say to your organization, this is what we want to do. How does that sit with you? And sometimes when your manager or someone, you know, who's in a, in a place of influence says, how do you think this sits? How, does, how would this affect you if we did this? Ask the question. Because then others will start to say, don't point out and say, oh, Nicole is the only woman in the room or is the only black woman in the room. What do you think? Let me do that. Take away the societal labels and let's just get back to the human side of things. And, you know, that's absolutely isn't. And something that we've been asked about is is because you and I talked about this in our last podcast, that sometimes leaders and managers are afraid to have the conversation. They're afraid to make a mistake or say the wrong thing. In terms of which then makes me think about the importance of language, you know, what 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 is inclusive versus non-inclusive language? What are re- some real examples of that? Yeah, and the, and the thing is, again, that's also quite fluid in terms of, because it's moving quite quickly, this space. You know, there's different kind of terminologies that's being introduced that people are like, what the hell does that mean? And I think when we talk about diversity and inclusion and introducing it, sometimes you feel like you have to have a PhD in DNI to even understand it. And it really does make people think, I just can't do this. So you just run in the opposite direction because it seems like it's a lot of work and it's quite, it can seem like it's just like this ball that's just tied up in knots. So there's lots of things that we can talk about with inclusive language. And I think some, a couple of them that I'll just mention. And for example, when we say whitelisted, that means approved as opposed to blacklisted means rejected. So, you know, it's those subliminal messages that we can think about. It's also around when we say you really fit into this organization as opposed to you add value to this organization. Um, it's also around, hi guys, as around, hi, hi everyone, hi people. It's those little bits that we can just say that can really resonate in a positive or a negative way. Um, and it's also around if we say illegal aliens, for example, because that can really dehumanize people who is not from that particular country. So it's, it's really around thinking about how are you saying things from the intent to the impact and how does that make people feel? So, the, the, I mean, there's, I mean, if anyone's really, really interested, there's so much around inclusive language. And again, people can say, oh, it's so politically correct. You can't say anything. But again, just put the shoe on the other foot. How would it sound? If you were from a different country and somebody said, oh, yeah, so you're an illegal aid, you're, you're not illegal, but you're, an, you're an, you know, you're an immigrant or, you know, the word BAME as well is another one. And again, around the guys thing, it kind of makes you feel like, do I have to be masculine now? Or you fit. Does it mean now I now have to look at the culture of the organization and fit into that as opposed to can I be Nicole and just add the value that I've come here to add? So there are words that we have to be very mindful of using um, and how we're m- including everyone especially around gender as well, because and how people identify in that space. 
And I suppose so somehow you've got to move from people fearing that they need a PhD, a PhD in DNI, <laughs> yeah. to actually becoming really confident and fluent, but in a comfortable way. So not feeling that they need a PhD, that they just it becomes part and parcel of of their language, that being inclusive in the way they use their language and being aware. So there definitely feels like they're still, you know, take away the fear of the PhD, but actually somehow there's a whole spectrum of and how do we get people more comfortable and confident um and aware of what is what is deemed right and wrong and and if there is even enough education yeah. out there at the moment I'm, I'm not even sure if there is it, it feels like you said it's that yeah. people run for the hills if they think it's too complex and and it doesn't seem to feel like it's that complex it's back to being human it's back to dialogue just conversation yeah. and i think when you put that out in the beginning from the get-go look you're not making excuses because you can make excuses and come across tokenistic and I know we're going to talk about that a bit later yeah. um but what it's a matter of saying is that look just because I've got a title you know just because I might be in HR or I might be a senior leader there could be someone in the organization that could really help this agenda because they live it they understand it it's the hobby of theirs they kind of really get it and allow those people to speak up and guide you and be a critical friend as opposed to this hierarchy that's in organizations and if somebody down here so to speak i mean and i hate it that you know they they don't have the title or the wage packet to have a voice yeah. that's not what we're talking about we're talking about employee engagement the employee experience that's dni really is how do your employees experience this organization and how are we communicating with them Oh, I think that's a really valid point is actually look around the whole organisation and irrespective of where you sit, what role you've got, it, this is about potential learned and lived experiences. So therefore, utilise all the, the voices in the organisation that can really add value. I, I totally believe in that. Totally. I think the yeah. answers are out there. Right. They are not sat around the top they table. They are. And this is it. And I think I spoke about this at the conference about removing the hippo out of the room. And hippo stands for the highest paid person's opinion. Yeah. Because what happens is that you've got people on the ground who's doing the job. They're experiencing what some of those challenges could be. They come up with a fantastic idea of how to move on. You bring it to the person who's got the purse strings or the person that's yeah. going to make those decisions, who happens to be the highest paid person, then they rubbish the idea or because they don't understand it, because it's not their lived experience, it then doesn't happen. So if you're the highest paced person in the room, what I would say to you if you're listening, think about when people are bringing ideas to you and let's not, let's remove egos and remove price tags. And, and, and that also is taking it back to that human factor, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that feels like a much more inclusive way of working anyway, doesn't it? You just absolutely. in general. Definitely. So in terms absolutely. of, you've also been asked about banter. So if you think about sure, you know, yeah. <laughs> banter in the workplace yeah. has changed, I think, over the years. And maybe what was said 20 years ago, 10 years ago, is now absolutely yeah. unacceptable. What what advice yeah. would you give somebody if they were trying to call somebody out on on the work? You know, it's just banter. It's, it's an interesting Well, I think word. firstly... Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it's one that I do speak about quite a bit. And depending on the culture of that organization and kind of the historic nature of the organization. Yeah. So I'm from um, a sales background and also a catering background. Um, 
So you can imagine, if, like I, I've seen chefs throw knives at people in the kitchen. I was like, hey, maybe this isn't the place for me. Um, and in a sales background, it's very, very salesy, very, you know. Um, so I think really what we need to look at first is what's the difference between banter and harassment? Yeah. So what is the difference? So when are we bordering kind of onto that? Um, and when we look at kind of what is gaslighting. So somebody comes and says, I come and I say, Joe, this was said to me. You're like, oh, Nicole, don't be so sensitive. It was just banter. So you're going to gaslight me to say that I'm you're, you're kind of making me second guess my experience. But I'm telling you that I wasn't comfortable with that. And what we also have to look at is this kind of where you've got friendships that are built in, in, in organizations. So I might go out with you or you, our kids might be in the same class or, you know, our husbands might play cricket or football or whatever it is. So there's a level of familiarity. There's a level of friendship there. But when it becomes kind of um, personal and when it starts kind of being where you're looking at the protected characteristics, so it becomes like a sexual comment or something yeah. about your race or your religion, then that's not banter. But then you have got the opposite side of that, which they call trash talk, which is like football talk. Oh, your team won. They're a load of rubbish. And that can be banter. So we're not saying that you're to remove the fun in the conversations that some people may see as fun and enjoy. It's being mindful of your words and what what's 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 being said um, and my husband and my nan always says the most serious things are said in jest so sometimes it's kind of laced in banter but it's really not so as a manager as a leader what are you saying to some of your your staff oh you're just you're so lazy you always leave you always leave five minutes early but really if there is an issue around somebody leaving in five minutes early then it shouldn't be banter it should be a real conversation around that or it just you know it could be I think um, I was training a group of senior leaders in Manchester um, last year. And one of them said, you know what, Nicole, when you talk about banter, it really, really somehow landed with him. And he said that they'd just gone out the night before and somebody had ordered a drink. But I think it was like gin and Coke or something, which normally, yeah. typically, apparently, that's not what you would drink with gin. And lots of people were laughing, saying, oh, that's a bit girly. What's that? You know, as banter. But we don't, you know, it's being careful around what is that harassment piece and what is that trash talk and what is offensive. So be mindful of what that looks like and what is really serious that you're saying is banter, but you actually mean the words. So it's really being careful around. And, and is your organisation um, dismantling that or are they upholding it because of the culture? Oh, don't be so sensitive. I didn't mean it like that. But you've just said something about my hair. You might say, oh, you look like Bob Marley's daughter because my hair's locked per se. And obviously I'm going to give you examples from a, from a black experience. Um, it, it could just be, oh, you always wear glasses, you know, like four eyes. I remember that was just something that people used to say when I was growing up. Like, how dare you? You know, I mean, people didn't want to wear glasses when I was at school. Now it's a fashion statement. So yeah. you're right, Joe, it's really moved on. You know, it's like now, I mean, I'm looking to think, OK, I want the cat eyes. No, no, I want the big ones. You know, I want the intelligent <laughs> kind of professor looking ones where when I was younger, I would literally prefer to die than wear glasses and go to school um, because. Right. So it's around um, having those conversations again. What is banter in our organisation? Because sometimes we could get we could get the wrong end of the stick and the intent wasn't meant in that way but the impact can be quite dangerous you talk quite a lot about intent versus impact don't you because like you said I think I think it's exactly yeah danger you know individuals teams leaders could get themselves into real hot water you know in terms of saying the wrong thing but but, but be mindful that you don't need a PhD you just need to be right. a decent 
human being <laughs> who has got an awareness of other people's needs and sensitivities and being open to that and being respectful of that. That feels like it. that's it. It's, it shouldn't have to be some sort of rocket science subject. This is about treating people with respect. Surely it's Yeah, to- and also what it's about... Yeah, it is around. But it's also, Joe, you see, it's a two way street, though, because I could then sit here and let me just play devil advocate, even with what I've just said and what we're saying. I could say, Joe and Nicole, I can't know everyone. I can't get it right all the time. It just all feels so much. How can I how can I do this? But it's also the other person's responsibility to have those conversations. And this is why I say coaching and diversity and inclusion go hand in hand, because if somebody's coaching me, I'm then also looking at my own self-awareness, my own radical honesty. And I'm thinking about, because if you do have a confrontational-ish conversation or you feel a bit low after you've had a conversation, I don't know about anybody else, but I do think about it for a while. Like, how could I have done that differently? Or why did it go left and it could have gone right? Or, you know, so it is around me being aware of what's really coming up for me and what am I projecting because it's a, there's a lot of layers there because you're dealing with human beings and anything can change in a minute, in a moment. I mean, as you know, you know, I came back from Jamaica and like within a week, my mother-in-law had passed away. My world has changed since then. And that was just what, six weeks ago. So anything can change in anybody's life at any given time. As a manager, as an organization, we may not know that because that person may not tell us. But when you have these coaching conversations, you do get to do that deeper dive and the better understanding around that dialogue piece. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and therefore, so there's a level what you're describing there is self-awareness, but also having the conversation and asking the question to allow people to feel safe, to be honest and vulnerable and share their thoughts, their perspectives, and also to, you know, potentially change the way they, they see things or the way they think about things, which will absolutely open up that inclusive mindset across an organization so the more coaching and, and diversity and inclusion go hand in hand is what you said and I totally get, I totally agree I think coaching goes hand in hand with so yeah. many things because it is about having those yeah quality conversations and building relationships based on trust all of that is moving the all these important topics forward so that's brilliant so we said we we're going to talk about tokenism what is tokenism yeah what even is it yeah, tokenism is another one that we talk a lot about. Um, and sometimes I think it's just to kind of run for the hills again, like, let's just do that over there. <laughs> so it's like a practice of making only a symbolic effort for a particular thing. So it's just like to say, yeah, we've done that. So it's like, you know, we need more representation in a particular group. So let's just get the representation in, opposed to thinking about what is a journey going to be for that person. Um, I remember speaking to people who would say that when they started in sales a few years ago, there wasn't any female toilets in the, in the offices because it was just quite a male-dominated industry. So, yes, you're going to get women going to say, yes, let's, let's get some women in. But that's quite tokenistic because you're not thinking about what happens next. What is the journey and the lived experience of that person? Um, and it becomes almost like a tick, tick box exercise. So when we look at it, and I want our listeners to think, what's the opposite of tokenism? What does that look like? Um, and it's really like being, and I think a word that's come up quite a bit now is an egalitarian. Yep. And we're looking for like an egalitarian kind of workforce, which is looking at kind of an even-handed, impartial, non-biased, non-discriminatory. So we're looking at not being discriminative, 
and having that balance of equity, going back to the belonging, you know, the equity and equality, you know, for those roots to become more of a belonging, cultivating belonging within an organization. So you've got the tokenistic kind of approach, which is let's just tick that box. You know, if you look over there, there's a bit of diversity there. And diversity does not mean color or gender. There's so many layers and diversity of thought, I think, is one that we're not talking about enough. Invisible disabilities, we're not talking about enough. We are talking more about mental wealth, but I think we can still take a deeper dive into the different aspects of trauma, for example. I'm a massive, massive fan around um, the trauma-informed approach. And probably because I talk a lot around violence against women and girls, and as a survivor myself, um, I do have that voice. Um, but when we, we don't talk enough around that approach or nonviolent communication, to how people's emails can come across, to how we speak to people again. So when we don't want to be tick boxy. We don't want to like say, yep, we've just done that because that's diverse because we've got a couple of, you know, people of colour over there. We've got gender there. You know, John over there says that he's openly gay. And we've got somebody who's, who who's, seems to wear, you know, they're wearing a hijab or somebody who's visibly like either with a walkie stick or what have you. But there's so much things right behind disabilities that you can't see. And even in the pandemic, you really saw that because you would see people with badges saying, I have an invisible disability. And why should you have to announce that just for people to accept you? I mean, it's absurd, right? So it's around, if you're going to do this work, roll your sleeves up and do this work. Do not be tokenistic about it. Do not be disingenuous. And as I say, we're really looking to be, um, and I always struggle with the word, it's egalitarian, egalitarian, yeah. <laughs> Where you want a more balanced workforce and society. Yeah, absolutely. Egalitarian. It's a yeah. egalitarian. It's a big word. Egalitarian. <laughs> egalitarian. We need to stick to oh, inequality. We can say that. <laughs> I was like, egalit. I said to my husband last night, egalit. What? Why did I can't say that? <laughs> And he was, because he's an English teacher, he was like, it's just like saying legal without, and I was like, listen, I can't say this word. But yeah, egalitarian, <laughs> but I like it. I do like it. <laughs> Got to learn to say it. It's a bit easier to say. We would love it. Absolutely. So, so <laughs> egalitarian. organisations avoiding this, so you're going to make me, you're going to make me laugh. Um, organisations avoiding tokenism feels like it's got to start with some level of strategic intent so actually, when they are looking at what their DNI strategy is or their strategy of belonging, actually, and making sure that at every angle they are not going, well, that's being tokenistic. That is just ticking a box. We, we this has got to be. Yeah. Let's look at this absolutely in its entirety. And what is the opposite of tokenism, which is exactly what you said. So actually, what are we missing here? Yeah, this can't what is it? At all. Exactly. And looking at those gaps and looking at also the employee life cycle. But you know what it is as well, though, Joe. As I said, I coach quite a few senior leaders, um, male and female. And even though they've got the positions, they will say to me, Nicole, whenever I hear the word strategy, I just think, oh, God, it's like it's it sounds so big. And I said, OK. And I remember saying to one of my clients, OK, let's Google strategy. It means action plan or approach. So let's just say approach. Let's just say let's just. Let's just break it down so we can breathe. Because as soon as we say, what's your DNI strategy? It sounds so serious. It is serious. But if that's what's scaring you and stopping you and making you run in the opposite direction, then let's use the simpler words if that's what's better. And we did that. And then um, it, it's really around, you know, what, you know, what is the approach? 
What is your approach? And also when it goes back to that transparency piece where you asked me around what can leaders do to be more inclusive, we can really think about, I, I said to a couple of my organizations I've worked with, it's like just have a transparent kind of grid or whatever you want it to be an animation around this is where we're getting to belonging and these are the things that we're putting in place for the next 12 months. And if something happens and it's taken you back, get that little dot to go back and say, oh, a little bit of a mistake here, but now we're taking a different route and show the roadmap. So it's not just in this kind of really kind of corporate kind of puzzle, you know, where you've got it, because I'm very visual being dyslexic, but, you know, make it make it layman. So just say this is even if you've got like someone just walking, I'm not going to say a man or a woman because that's not overly inclusive, but or, or, you know, you could. But um, whatever it could be. I mean, I like cats at the moment. So it could be a little cat that's going on this little journey of what you've said and it's taken a wrong turn. And that could be where you've fallen over in your organization and something didn't go right. That could have been a survey. It could have been recruitment. It could have been you put somebody in, in, in the role of diversity and inclusion and it became too much and they've just left and you've got that gap. Be open with around what, what does it feel like? Do vlogs around what does DNI mean to you in the organization and choose different people throughout the organization. If you're a global organization, do a day in a life in, in working in the organization in Greece, in Uganda, in Australia, in the US. You know, there's so much that we can do to bring that human side of things because people are being bullied at work. People are being racially discriminated. People are, you know, going through sexism at work. And it's being able to, yes, there is a fun side to this. Once we get to a place that people in your organisation can talk about this and you're dealing with it. So this is where your policies and your processes and your procedures underpin and navigates the behaviours of your organisation. Because if I was to put a pound for every time I heard someone say, look, Nicole, I would never raise a grievance against my manager. They go to they go to lunch with the HR director or what have you. Nobody's saying that people shouldn't go to lunch together. What we are saying is that if you have a policy or a rule in your organization, it goes for everybody. It's not selective. So it's around building that trust. Um, and yeah. that's when the good stuff can happen because people yeah. feel like I'm not going to be penalized for my opinion or for my experience. And some people's experiences are going to be tougher than others and harder to swallow. And that's why race is a difficult one to talk about, you know, domestic abuse, even people's mental health. Some people just really shrink when they hear people's experiences. But when people, if I see that I'm telling you something and you're shrinking as my manager or people in my organization, I'm not going to want to tell you again. So it's a matter of firming it and saying, well, I asked for you to tell me what's going on with you. And now you're telling me and we need to push through that and we need to support you. And how can we do that? How can we support you to get through this? Somebody could be made homeless, for example. I'm sure there's lots of people at work now that's feeling the crunch and probably don't feel like they can speak to their managers or their HR departments because they just want to keep their job because they're going into debt. So it's around, do you have something that we're talking about debt management in the organization? Are you going to bring somebody in? You know, there's little things that we can do. Sometimes we just need, we just need an arrow. We just need a North Star. We just need something that can help us to help ourselves. So it's, this isn't a handout. This is around equality and equity and yeah. trying to get to a place of belonging. So how can you navigate for me to take the bite and do that? But if I feel like I've got to talk about, you know, golf or talk about what most of the organization is with this whole infinity bias type thing, because everybody looks and behaves in a certain way, I am not going to feel like I belong in that space. And I'm either going to code switch or I'm going to be silent. It's interesting because you, you, you know, I, I use the word fun. You, ha- you share some extremely serious, important messages, but 
you always do make this topic because of who you are. You make it a really engaging topic and you bring humour to certain areas. You know, whatever the topic, you always manage to light up. Whenever I've been in rooms with you, you do make things engaging. Dark topics you make, make more consumable topics that can make people feel uncomfortable you break them down Nicole and that's I think a gift that you share with people that the way you you make people smile and feel warm by how you share the topics that you're so passionate about and you're an expert on and I think it's how do we get people kind of as as knowledgeable as you on these subjects um, and as confident as you and I know it comes down to the conversations and but it is about you know, raising awareness on the topic, feeling more comfortable to and more safe to have the conversations and to be engaged in the discussion rather than to run for the hills. Um, and I think you yeah. know, people like yourself really do make the, the subject um, accessible, I think is the word. I think that's the word I'm right. It's an accessible topic, whereas some people fear it. And, and you definitely bring that accessibility to such a, um, a challenging discussion and a challenging topic. Why are some people, why do people struggle to speak about discrimination? It is a, it is a tough topic and not knowing yeah. what to say and what not to say. Why do people find it hard? I think, because um, I, you know, I do ask that question a lot um, in the work that I do. Like if you were to see discrimination in, in your, in your organisation, would you call it out? <clears throat> would you report it and what have you? And some people who are com- comfortable will say yes. And I've noticed people who have the higher positions would, but people who are in like kind of middle management or, you know, entry level, what have you, wouldn't. Um, and I think it's around repercussions. Yeah. So I've also had the answers of, well, it depends who's doing it. So if it's somebody's manager, they probably wouldn't. But if it was a peer, they probably would. Um, and they don't want to have a, like a target on their back. Um, some people just say it's not my fight. I'm just not interested. And that's where I would say it shouldn't have to happen to you to matter to you. You know, I say that everywhere I go um, from Daniel Coke, you know, it, it shouldn't have to happen to you to matter to you because you could break that cycle and you yeah. could even save that person a lot of, of hurt. Um, and, and also it's, it's, you know, when I think about um, kind of in sales teams, I've had this come up quite a bit because I've worked with sales teams in this space and, you know, I've had people say, but Nicole, sometimes you've got a really big client, you know, whether it be from the Middle East or, you know, from, from Africa somewhere or, or in the States. And they may say something inappropriate, but you don't want to lose the deal. You don't want to lose the client. Um, and it could be something sexist. It could be something just something just completely inappropriate, but you just don't call it out. And it's such a tricky space to be in. Because you've wow. gone to dinner because we know, you know, it's the, you know, I, I'm from a sales background. So I used to go to those dinners and, you know, you know, Joe, you've got your business and you, you know, you're selling stuff. And it's like, what, how do you deal with this? And that, again, has to be something that's navigated from the organization to their client. You've got many organizations now when they're doing their procurement. They want to know if I'm working with you, Nicole, what's your diversity and inclusion strategy or what's your approach? What are you doing about it? Is it in line with us as, as our values? Um, you know, and I, I think I can't remember the country, but I know that Body Shop came out of a country in Eastern Europe because they made some really bad laws around the LGBTQ community. And they were like, well, you know what? We're not going to be here because we, you know, we don't work. That's not how we operate. And it is around bold leadership. It's a massive world out there. 
but you know that you know, if you are good at what you do you can get business with the people that you want to get business with I always say your vibe will attract your tribe it's as simple as that and if you're saying this is what we are non-negotiable on which is our diversity and inclusion approach see what I did there we're changing our language our approach um and and this is who and this is who we want to work with and if you don't if you're not aligned with that that's fine and that goes back to self as well Joe. you're not for everybody not everyone's gonna like you not like what you're saying like what you do and that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine and it's a it's around that culture of we have to be liked belonging is you want to feel welcomed and accepted in the spaces that you are in and an organization they have the responsibility to do that but also it's around you're probably not for everybody in certain other spaces as well. But from you're okay with that, we're here to do a job. And from that's being done, there shouldn't be any kind of like, you know, there will be personality clashes, but we can be very polite with each other and we can move on. So around discrimination, um, it's around calling it, calling it out and the industries that you're in, um, because there are some industries where the culture is just that. We look at the music industry, we look at the sales industry, unfortunately. And, I, and, and if anyone's listening, I'm not attacking the industry at all. It's just my personal experiences and also what I'm hearing from my clients in those spaces. You are so knowledgeable on this on this topic. I know it is your area of expertise, <laughs> but nonetheless, you are so fascinating to listen to, Nicole. And how can people feel more comfortable get, just demystifying all of this which can sometimes feel a minefield demystifying and feeling more comfortable asking questions it's knowing that line kind of mm. what question can I ask how, how far can I take this how not you know what how can we get people to feel more comfortable in just having the conversation yeah I've got three points on this and there's many but I this, this kind of what came to mind when I read this question and I could probably say this way too much as well. I need shares in this book, you know, the seven habits of highly yeah. affected people. Yeah, yeah. Listen to understand, not to be understood. Listen. And coaching is just all about the listening as well, right? So listen first, because as soon as we talk about something that's uncomfortable, going back to that projection, calm it down. Just say, okay, let me just listen first. Let me not try to react. Let me just listen. Because some people are reflectors, are introverts different ways of communicating. So before we have an opinion, let's hear what they're saying and observe what the non-verbal communication is saying, as well as what they're actually saying to us. So that's the first thing I would say, listen to understand not to be understood. Step back and listen to the other person. I would also say, acknowledge the other person's perspective. Well, you know, it may not be the same as mine. You know, they always say agree to disagree, but that's healthy dialogue. That's healthy debate. I mean, my family, we're debaters. How we're all still related, I do not know, because we don't agree with anything anybody says. But we have some really good, and I'm like, sometimes I'd be like, that's a really good point. However, <laughs> and there's nothing, there's nothing you can imagine, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But listen to other people's perspective. And then another book that I always bang on about is um, The Four Agreements. You know, don't take it personally. Some things are personal because we spoke about banter beforehand, but know where that balance is. And then the last thing I would say is adjust your mindset and check your bias. Um, check your bias in that situation and your mindset. Because um, I had a really, really interesting conversation um, when I was coaching a group of senior leaders and we were talking about recruitment and biased in recruitment. And one of the guys said to me, do you know what, though, Nick? I've been doing recruitment for 30 years and sometimes I can tell when someone's just not for the job. And I said, but is that your expertise showing up or is that your bias showing up? And all I'm asking you to do here is 
check them. Check which is which, which is laced with which, because your expertise, that's what you rely on. We've been doing this for years. You know the job. However, let's be mindful. And then one of his colleagues jumped in and said, it's really funny you say that because um, I was interviewing a manager for a pub. This lady, she was probably four foot five. She was tiny. She was petite. And he thought there's no way. There's just no way she's going to be able to do this. And he said 15 years later, she's still there because he just had a hunch and said, let me give her a chance. So really, it's around checking your bias as well. Um, I would say, um, and adjust your mindset in those conversations and be curious. Look at kids, my grandkids, the questions they oh God, the, quest- the questions they <laughs> ask. That why? Why, grandma? But why? But why? But why? I just have to go back to say, well, the little troll under, uh, under the stairs said it, so let's not wake him up. That's, That's what I just, honestly, because I just can't. <laughs> so, because so, so creative. You know, we don't want to lose. They're wanting to learn, aren't they? They want to know. They don't know, so they want to know. Exactly. They want to learn. And we seem to grow into adulthood yeah. and stop wanting to learn. It's that. Exactly, exact, Joe, exactly. That curiosity has just gone um, because of how society and those labels have just really navigated us and pushed us into that thought process. Don't lose your curiosity and don't also lose your questions. Don't lose that. There's nothing wrong with it. So, yeah, so that's what I would say on, on, on those, really. And what are things that, what are, I mean, you've covered so much today, Nicole, what are the real things that can make um, such a difference in organisations? How can people step up to make a difference, no matter who they are in the organisation? You know, what what would be your advice if people want to make I would, a difference? Well, you're definitely going to like this one. I've said it throughout and I genuinely believe it. Honestly, I'm, I've just started my master coaching course because I am such an advocate of coaching. And um, I've just yeah. started therapy too. And it's, I'm seeing the differences, but the similarities, but the, you know, the coaching culture, cultivate a coaching culture because it means accountability. It also means dialogue. It means amazing questions and aha moments and innovation. Look at how can you create a coaching culture within your organizations? And I get clients saying, well, Nicole, how do we do that? You know, what does, what does that look like? The other thing is you have to put funding behind this. This is not volun- you know, voluntary all the way. Don't expect to lean on your, your staff members who are from particular groups or demographics to do this work. Put a budget and put a decent big budget behind it because it's your people that you're actually investing in. And I'm sure it's easier to develop and retain than it is to keep recruiting and onboarding. So that's one thing I would definitely say. Praise every part of the journey, not just your results. Because what happens is that you could be doing a project and you've got people who start from the beginning, but they don't finish it because you need different people in different parts. But what happens? You're praising that one person that you're always giving the project to. And that could look like favoritism. That could even look like turn up as infinity bias. Praise every part of the journey. And even if you've fallen over in between, you get back up and you think, what can we do differently? It's really important to acknowledge the whole entire journey and focus on your key challenges, not personalities. So what is the key challenge is what's happening in our organization as opposed to blaming that person and looking at the personalities because not everybody is the same and you need different people. I'm a massive Disney fan. And if you watch, um, is it Inside Out where they talk about sadness yes, and, ha- and happiness? Um, absolutely amazing. I, I can't believe I've only just watched that late last year. I don't know how that didn't come on my radar. Um, and it's like you need the sadness. And when you watch it, Anyone listening to this podcast, if you're an animation person or not, watch Inside Out. It is absolutely amazing. 
Um, and that's what I would say, concentrate on the challenges and not personalities, because then we're becoming personal, aren't we? So. You have so many nuggets to share with the world, don't you? I mean, all the things you say, <laughs> you've got all these little bite-sized things that you could just go, I can do something with that. I can I can go and build a whole strategy or approach on the back of that one phrase that Nicole's just said. So, <laughs> so what would be... I hope so. I really hope so. What would be the smallest thing that organisations can do to have the biggest impact? book Nicole is probably what I would uh, say <laughs> oh bless you I would <laughs> say and this is why I've started this is why I've created this coaching program um yeah um Joe and it's called the courage to be and I'm not saying you know if you want to c- contact me to discuss it it's fine but I would say have the courage to be and I've left it as courage to be because I want you to think of what that be what's the word after be have the courage to be more vocal have the courage to say no have the courage to listen more I would say it has to start with you every single one of you it has to and speak up so have the courage to speak up have the courage to start have the courage to understand have the courage to understand it shouldn't have to happen to you to matter to you so I would say courage I would just say have the courage to just do it have the courage to be courageous yeah Oh, Nicole, yeah, thank you exactly. so much. Is there anything else you want to share today? Is there anything that you've covered so much informative, interesting, fascinating? And it, it, I suppose if I'm if summarising it, 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 it's, it definitely feels about, well, you've said it about starting with yourself to really check in on yourself about your own biases. What do you... What are your own thoughts? What's your own mindset on these certain topics? It feels like you need to learn more as well, but not to be afraid to learn. Don't fear, don't run for the hills. Don't think you've got to go and get a PhD. Actually, just start raising your awareness. No, get to know more and be mindful and call things out. No matter what, call mm. things out. Um, check the culture yeah. that you're working within. But I think it's got to start with the more people call things out, the more the culture will change. Yeah. And you've got to be mindful that you're not just sending a group of people, maybe your senior leaders or managers on these diversity and inclusion um, courses, because we all know what it's like. You go on a really good course and you're like, that was so good. But you go back into your organisation and it's like you had on headphones the whole time because no one else understands the journey. So it's got to be throughout the organisation. So if somebody goes on a course, say to them, what's your key learnings that you want to share with the organisation? So people understand. Um, And one thing I've noticed that organisations are really big on D&I diversity and inclusion externally and not internally and I say it's almost like going on the school run picking up everybody else's kids and leaving your own so be mindful that you're not really too external focused and you're not thinking about your people because they're the ones that have to deliver at the end of the day it's your kids that's got you know you've got to put them to bed later so pick them up one kid sat sat on the pavement saying the school bus is just my parents have just picked everybody else up Oh, Nicole, you have been amazing as ever. Absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share your your pearls of wisdom, so many of them, with the Coaching Culture listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, and if you do want to listen to further podcasts, please do tune into our Coaching Culture podcast because we have so many fabulous guests of which Nicole is is one of the top ones, to be fair. So thank you.